Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today, from peanut butter to surgery for better security. So what do I mean by that? Like peanut butter that you would apply on a slice of bread, would spreading the same controls, security controls across all business areas, would that be really effective for security management? When you are trying to plant people in, uh, in your security group or you are getting a managed service provider, could you just wait and, and passively that too? and wait for the alarm to go off, would that really help you with security management? So all of that has to be discussed. So what the point that we are trying to make is move from a peanut butter approach to a surgical approach for better security. So easier said than done. That's why we want to have a discussion among the three stalwarts in the security field. Jarek Beeson, Chief Information Security Officer with Epic. Leon Ravenna, Chief Information Security Officer with CARC Global, and Jake Margolis, Chief Information Security Officer with Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. Hey, Jarek, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. And hey, Leon, how's life there? Uh, it's doing great here in Indiana. Awesome, awesome. And Jake, how's things? Um, things are uh, good. Busy, but good. <laughs> All right. I like that. I like the sound of that. Good busy. huh? So, okay. So let's, uh, Jace, Jarek, why don't we start with you? So we always traditionally built security as a shared function, uh, a shared service almost. But then when we have different business units and they have their own sets of crown jewels and all their own sets of, I'd say the intricacies of their business, which could create different levels of risk. With all of that changing things by the day when because of the volatility that we have the business environment, do you think we would be good in going ahead and broad stroking security in any way? No, I think there can definitely be a, a case made for going from a centralized to a decentralized way of doing security. I don't know if we can do it 100% decentralized. Um, but for example, things like the security operations center or maybe security engineering that needs to stay at the center because it is going to be homogenous in many ways across the environment, but something like vulnerability management or application security, there could be a case made because the applications are tied to the business. They're tied to those operations and in the world of DevOps, the lines are blurred even further. We want the developers to be empowered to self-govern, you know, within those guardrails. So in, in a case like that, it would make sense to go with a more surgical approach. So, uh, Leon, when you have tried to apply at your organization, how are you approached by the top people like the CEO, et cetera, to say, okay, help me with security, but they would not care how you approach the people, you know, at the business unit level. They would say, give me good security. And they will say, I'll give you one budget. And I will ask you to give me one metric. But then when you come to your business unit level, do you just also broad stroke the same way they'd have got one budget, so I'm going to treat you all the same? 
It, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I have 17 lines of business and the smallest one is 15. The largest one is several thousand people. Uh, we do a lot of the same security controls. So for instance, cloud security posture, I use the same tool and, and tell everybody the same things. Um, we have uh, four main development lines for about 500 developers. And so I, I build for them a very targeted security posture every month that gives them all of the data that, that we can, whether it's, it's individual or it's kind of homogenized across the organization. So we end up doing a little bit of both um, and more looking at some of the tools that we're doing to be very targeted. So one of the things we're looking at right now, kind of cutting edge stuff is uh, application reverse engineering. So building out a graphical view of the of a team's applications, um, really pretty cool stuff, things that the, the, the dev teams may not have seen. But so we, we start with everything kind of from one central and then bring it down into very targeted kind of tool aspects of what they can best use. So, uh- Jake, when you look at your world, a little different because Jarek and uh, uh, Leon come from different walks of life, if you will, on how they're handling things. The whole security mandate, which comes from the top to, hey, you secure my whole fort, but there are a bunch of different rooms which have their own sets of complexity at the business unit levels. When you look at your organization, can you realistically go broad stroke your security and still be effective? Um, well, the short answer is no <laughs> for anything. I think we kind of all agree on that. Uh, but there's um, that sometimes there are some broad brushstroke um, initiatives that are universal security controls. And I think we've all been kind of saying that in different ways. You know, for example, if you, uh, one of the things that we uh, look at in our environment is we do, uh, we implemented smart card authentication across the board. And uh, that was a broad brushstroke kind of initiative. Um, there are applications that we had to figure some things out that are workarounds for them or how we would apply some compensated controls to work around that because not everything supports that level of authentication. But um, given what we're trying to safeguard and how we wanted our systems configured, we uh, we took that, it, it was a surgical requirement, but we took a broad brushstroke approach to applying it. And so I think um, strategically you can't be you can't have broad brushstrokes. I mean, you have to kind of know what it is you want to protect. Um, and some of that really kind of comes down to uh, really understanding your risk profile. As an organization, a lot of it is um, there's threats out there every day from, uh, from all kinds of organizations and uh, to different uh, lines of business. Then your organizations may have different risk profiles um, matched to a particular threat. But um, you also can't go down every rabbit hole to um, defend against every possible threat, every possible risk. So you have to. So there is some, I guess, uh, canvassing of, okay, what's going to give me the most bang for my buck? But there's still a strategic way to look at that. And so that's why I I don't like using the term broad brushstrokes for things that are that are wide sweeping. But sometimes you do kind of have to take a step back and say, well, you know, I know that this threat actor, this particular type of threat, you know, uh, watering holes, for example, represent um, a, a way into networks if not properly managed, uh, at least the endpoint not being properly managed or um, other compensating controls being properly managed could represent a massive compromise on the system. 
from something that may have been um, relatively benign, possibly, depending on how you're looking at it, um, or dealing with phishing campaigns and those kind of things. And so I, I think uh, it, it is, I don't know, and you've heard me say this before on other previous uh, shows, it really does kind of come down to what is it that you're, you're trying to do from a strategic perspective. Um, and, and that is always should be a surgical approach as far as I want these, I want these particular things because they will uh, help me reduce that risk profile um, as I work towards my, uh, my security roadmap completion. So, Jarek, if it was you and you had a carte blanche, how would you handle security? Would you go surgical all the way? Short answer is no. We as CISOs, we're managing scarcity. We have a limited number of resources and an exponential threat. And, you know, dividing an already insufficient number of resources could result in an even lower quality outcome across the board. That being said, this is really an organization-dependent conversation. And it really depends on, you know, the business model, the size of the team, funding available, applicable regulations, and so on, or even the uniqueness of the products that are out there. In in most organizations, you can easily make the argument that a portion of security should be surgical, but how much of that is going to depend on some of those other factors? Uh, yeah, definitely. No. First of all, there's there's a couple of reasons why politically, you know, internally, you know, somebody's going to open up the checkbook. You want to be a good steward of that money. That's just being a good human. But, um, but if I had that, that kind of carte blanche, um, I think that I would put them, again, I would take that uh, very specific approach to um, what's my risk profile um, and what is it I'm trying to um, protect against from my particular uh, sector or for the lines of business I'm protecting, what are the threats to those line of, lines of business, what's their exposure and can I reduce that exposure and still have some strategic banks in my buck across the entire enterprise? Um, because then you can get a little bit more surgical if you need to, but the more risk you can reduce, the better off you are. So I uh, totally take your point, Jarek. Uh, so Leon, if you were to propose a formula, and I'm sure it's not easy to put a formula to something like this, but a way a security officer comes in, information security officer comes in or just take, does reevaluation and comes up with a way to figure out how, so, how, so, uh, how much surgical can I go? What would be those parameters? And, and let's talk specifics. I know it depends on a lot of factors, but what would you have produced if you could? Sure. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're talking you know, un, unlimited budget and stuff like that. I mean, first I'd have to pick my jaw up off the floor. Um, but really what I would look to do is tailor for each business unit. So the, the what more money, more resources allows you to do is, is tailor the program within the same set of constructs, but tailor it to the individual development team. And so, for instance, I, I said I had 17 business units. Some of them are very small. And, and so how can I help them get to the same things? The, the targets that we're looking at are the same. We're still looking at OWASP. We're looking at CIS. I mean, th- those things don't change, so you can't really get out too far on those. But what I would look to do is, is take the program and tailor it very specifically to the dev teams and the, the persona and the culture of those dev teams 
and that's what the what more resources allows you to do. Um, it in it, it allows you allows you to be more surgical in how you do it, but it's delivering same set of services, but very much tailored to to those teams and those businesses. Now, when we are looking at, uh, so I'll come back to you, uh, Jake here. Which ones would you feel if you were to customize your or tailor your program overall? What all ways or what, what, which all departments, because at the end of the day, there are only so many departments you can have, right? We come down to HR, finance, et cetera, et cetera. If you were to do a quick rundown on these departments, and if you had to say, I would design security program for this department this way, would you find a pattern or have you found a pattern which you could share that, okay, this, this department when handled this kind of security approach serves it best? Um, that's actually a really good question because you do kind of have to, um, as Leanne kind of stated, you know, if you had the, the the budget, you would want to have a tailored approach and you have to take a tailored approach, whether you have the budget or not. Um, I, we live in two different worlds where I'm at. We have these, we have this massive industrial control system that we use to, uh, you know, move, store, treat water. Um, and a lot of people depend on the service that we provide. And so, the considerations around something like an operational technology system are going to be vastly different than what you would put around, say, you know, an HR system, you know, uh, or a payroll system within HR more specifically. So you would have to, um, I think you have to have against, right. I think understanding, um, what your, your overall desired end state is as far as a common set of controls. And again, I like that we don't get too far, uh, as Liam said, we don't get too far from CIS uh, t- uh, top 20 or we don't get too far from OWASP. Um, so typically what I do when I, when I take that approach is I look at it and say, well, you have, um, an, I, I, you have an understanding of the threat or the risk to the organization. Most of us have an appreciation for that. Um, but on the other side of that, I always look at, uh, I, on the other side of that, I look at how am I going to respond to threats? What's my resiliency? And so, I really, instead of doing a precise cookie cutter for every organization, I start with my security controls around, do they give me an ability to respond, to detect, identify, and respond? Do they give me those abilities um, and to contain threats when, when, they, when they hit the enterprise? So I kind of go into it with a little bit of a gloomy. I, I like to be cautiously optimistic, as I say, but I'm always a little bit gloomy because I look at it and say, well, you know, the, the, the bad thing is going to happen and that's unavoidable. So why don't we start understanding how we're going to do that. And so with my tailored approach to organizations is I'd like to understand uh, what's the best way to communicate um, incident response type activities and uh, mitigation through those organizations and understanding what their high profile targets are within those organizations. And that's how we focus our resiliency efforts around those high profile targets uh, for business continuity, uh, disaster recovery, and, um, you know, just general, uh, operational, what I call general operational isolation, because sometimes you can contain systems uh, and still give them some level of uh, operability, depending on how critical the system is and what that risk is to the enterprise. So I I think that's how I look at that. And and I would say that that's my tailoring, uh, if you will, my tailor's toolkit um, is always kind of built around that time cutting the uh, pattern out for the organization. but there is, you're right, there is no one approach. There is no, every, every department's a little bit different. They have different concerns. 
Um, but you can also have common tools that um, can meet multiple concerns. Do you have to have a, um, a more robust uh, tool set um, and maybe a more robust uh, administrative control approach to allow for um, customization for the organization? So, you know, you could, you know, it, it, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify and say, well, you'd have a firewall for finance, but you could do it uh, something different for HR. I don't want to say something overly simplistic like that, but the fact is, is that you would have different technical controls, but you could do it through the same platform solution. Um, and I think that, again, comes down to resiliency and your ability to detect, identify, respond, and contain threats when they, uh, when they occur. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Jarek, when we come back, I'd like to pose this question about, one is that you, you want to do it, like the intent is there. Maybe there is even budget for you to play a little bit and do some customization. But what are the constraints and the challenges which you anticipate when you want to go surgical? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Jarek, we all have good intentions, and when we are lucky, we also have the funds to play with and or to use them to implement good security programs. But since we are talking about moving from the broad stroke or peanut butter approach to surgical, and if you have the resources, but there could be other systemic challenges or other challenges which could hold you back, what would you say those are as you live this? Yeah, so if you're you're going the approach of going surgical, you are being much more methodical within each individual business unit or division that you're going surgical in. And the risk of doing so is you lose some of the benefits of having that central function. So I'll give you a good example. I can define a cybersecurity strategy for my organization, and it can be business aligned. But if those divisions have their own individual unique strategies, then my strategy may not completely align. So there's a possibility that the things that I put in place, the things that I prioritize as an organization may not be priorities within those individual business units. I've worked for an organization where Overall, confidentiality and integrity is what mattered most, but a piece of our business was tied to the education sector and was tied to the healthcare sector, where availability is more important. 
So if I put all of my controls from a confidentiality perspective or integrity perspective, and I prioritize those and I compromise availability, it may be good for the majority of the organization, but not the parts that I may need to go surgical on. So that's that's one thing to, to keep in mind. Uh, another thing to keep in mind is if I do completely operate from the from the outside and not from the center, I may not have consistency in the quality of the resources. So if I train, if I develop and so forth, and these are my people, then I can develop them the way that I would want them to be developed. But when you move to the to the outside, then there's a possibility that those people may not develop the same way. They may not have the same nurturing and growth opportunities uh, as you may have in the, in the center. So I'd want to make sure that we find ways for them to still feed from the center, even though they're supporting um, the, the outside. And then the, the last thing I would say is sometimes the cost gets a little, gets a little hairy when, when it's not necessarily coming from security. In, in fact, that budget and that funding may come purely from that business unit, which is not a problem, uh, but it just depends on, you know, how those shared resources, what are you, um, from, a, from a cost perspective, how do you budget? How do you do, how do you talk about ROI? You're, you're now no longer just reporting on the health of the old whole organization. You're reporting on those individual surgical, you know, components. And that doesn't necessarily jive with people that aren't really related to that business unit. They want to know how there's how, how is their business unit doing? And if you have a hybrid approach, it gets really difficult to tell a singular story. So, Leon, what have you seen happening? Love to get your thoughts on this. Sure. So, you know, with with multiple lines of business, I have multiple dev teams, and we also acquire. Uh, we've bought three companies in the last twelve months, and we're buying them for their intellectual property. So, we're not going to say, you know, you have to do this development language. And so, we're in AWS, we're in Azure, we're on prem. Uh, Windows, various Linux, various databases. So I think what we, you know, to, to kind of bring this together, we have a set of controls that we work to. We use the same cloud security posture system. We use the same vulnerability system, but we tailor what we're doing a lot to those dev teams because we're, we're building applications. And so, you know, for the, the guys that are doing DevOps and infrastructure as code, we come at them differently than the guys who are doing, uh, say, a, a Windows system in Azure, and uh, but the the things that we that we mandate, uh, so like the the very first statement, as soon as we buy a company is, we we as soon as we sign, I own your problems, and so that that is a very telling message that says, okay, most of the companies we're buying are pretty small and may not have those controls in place, their problems become mine. And so we deal with incidents exactly the same way. There is, there is no flexibility on how we do that because we have to. But as we're working with those teams on what they're developing, how they get better, that is very surgical and very tailored to the, the persona and the culture of those teams. So, Jake, when you hear both Jarek and... Leon, on this topic of the challenges, would you say, can there be any sort of proactive preparation to get over it? Because at the end of the day, you are paid to deliver results. And if you know these challenges are there, 
you may have some countermeasures, if you will, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, first of all, planning to respond or taking a, or building a reactionary, um, posture is, is a proactive measure uh, in and of itself. I think sometimes, um, that gets taken a little out of context when you let people know that you're going to assume that something bad's going to happen. So you have a standard cookie cutter or not a cookie cutter, but a standardized response, um, to, uh, to handle incidents, that's actually very proactive. Um, and, you know, because most people who have those kinds of plans also spend a lot of time testing them and making sure that they're kind of tried and true and that communications are in place when an incident occurs and they know how to uh, communicate with stakeholders and up and downstream lines of business, et cetera, et cetera. I think um, that's a very proactive thing to do. I also think you can kind of proactively look, uh, you could lean forward and, um, understanding the culture of those lines of business. You know, we have multiple lines of uh, business or organizational silos where, where, where we're at within Metropolitan. And um, understanding the culture of these um, internal businesses or business units, it helps you to kind of um, generally have some expectations set on how well a set of cybersecurity controls is going to be taken. Uh, and what I mean by that is how easily it's going to be adopted, you know, not how people feel about it, but more, the adoption rate and are people going to work to circumvent it or are they going to work to support the effort? Um, <clears throat> and in organizations where there's a culture of compliance, you may have a high acceptance of any cybersecurity changes that you want to put in, whether it's technological or administrative and where you have a little bit more free spirited organizations in, uh, uh, or, or, you know, or free spirited business units, depending on what they do, more creative type of unit. Sometimes you may run into different problems. Maybe. You know, it's hard to say every organization is a little different, but if you understand that and you kind of understand, um, you know, what it is that they're trying to accomplish and you really uh, are intimately familiar with what their goals and objectives are, then, yeah, you can absolutely be proactive in planning, you know, the best uh, application of defensive measures. So, Sharik, Let's talk money. I know I almost assumed that money is available and I've yet to see a CISO who says I have all the play money I want and all I have all the budget I want. When do you want to go surgical? You may want to plan a little ahead and also keep some contingency buffer, if you will. What kind of a funding model you'll work with? Because if it's one bucket of money given by the management, go do whatever you have to do. That's one thing. But if they're watching it closely you will have to figure out a way to justify why am I spending more budget in this division versus that division? How would you approach budgeting in a surgical approach to handling security? So if you are going from peanut butter to surgical, that's not the sole decision of the CISO. That's a decision that was made collectively with other pieces of the business, other parts of the business, because they are now anticipating that there's a little bit more ownership on their part because you are giving them some levels of autonomy and abilities to govern themselves in some cases, or at least parts of themselves. So if that was the case, security would be much more deeply embedded in the business. And then it becomes a cost of doing business for that individual division or, or part of the business subsidiary, however um, you're structured. Uh, 
So the resources, the tooling, and all the spend flows up to the business PL, and we work on that together. It's not uncommon for the business to have developers. It's not uncommon for the business to have IT uh, desktop support people and so forth. If we're going surgical, security becomes one of those additional line items or multiple line items potentially. So that spend is really made uh, collectively. Beginning of the year, fiscal year, a couple months before, however you go about your budget, you talk about their strategies, you talk about the things that they want to do. If they want to do an M&A, then you say, hey, we have to spend this money on due diligence. There's going to be your keep the lights on type of cost that is just for operations and for people and so forth. But effectively, all the other spend is aligned with the things that they're trying to do. If they're trying to roll out a product, you need some money to get your SOC 2 or your ISO or to do your pen testing. The list goes on and on. That's not security dictating the spend. That's the business dictating the spend based off of the activities that they want to do. So, Leon, when you look at your 17 business lines, if I understand, I remember correctly, if you have those many and one is that you think they need security at a certain level, another is their own perception about what they need, And that could become a tug of war. And then secondly, when you try to get funding model and you want to make a case, they will go and cross check with the business leaders. And there might be, again, a tug of war or or difference of opinion. Is it that how, how it happens or you guys all are one village and singing Kumbaya? Well, I don't know that we're one village singing Kumbaya, but the, the, the security budget covers the organization. So, um, and, and that's by design. And I report to the CFO, not to the CIO. Um, so the, we do that for a variety of reasons, and that's driven by the board of directors. Um, we end up doing security in this way because there are things that we will have to mandate and people don't get a choice on. So, for instance, you know, uh, you don't get a choice on the EDR tool that we use. Um, you don't get a choice on the firewalls that we use, and we work with with IT to to do that. And and so I think there's some things that will be non-negotiables. Um, there's some things that you know, as as one particular business unit, and and a lot of mine are you know we're we're building applications again in the in the auto auction repossession of financial space, but we're building applications, so we have a big developer community. And, and they may look at, you know, application performance management in a different way. And, you know, we will look at the contracts for that to make sure that we're all doing the same thing um, or that the, they're meeting the same security controls. But we're flexible and saying, yeah, if, you, if there's things that you want to do, as long as they align to the security controls that we need, we're good with that for your, for your particular business unit. Because, as I said, some of them are really far ahead. Um, some of them are, you know, still still on prem. You know, I've got a, a bunch of accounts in AWS and Azure, and and those guys are are wanting to move fast, and and so we accommodate that, and so it ends up being again, we there's things that are non negotiables that you you don't get, but then we tailor to every other business line for for what they need, how to help them move fast. So, Jake, when you are doing what you are doing in terms of, and you mentioned that you would neither do uh, purely surgical, nor you would do broad stroke, which you anyway didn't say you wanted to talk, use, use the term broad stroke. What is your approach to making sure the people, the resources, etc., are aligned 
while at the same time flexible because sometimes what you would anticipate the need of a given division be, it could change mid-year after your budgeting and after your planning. And here you got to move people around, but now you made individual divisions on spotlight. And in fact, they are going to put you on the spotlight because you said, I'm going to go surgical on you. How do you juggle this way? Because now somebody's watching you. Well, one, I, I, would, I never actually go to the business units and tell them that I'm going to get more precise with their security controls. When we, when we apply, um, if we're applying a tailored set of security controls, it's because they're bringing something to the table that doesn't fit um, the current software suite or the current um, network profile. You know, we, we have network extensions all the time that we do uh, for different uh, services. And so I, I don't, I don't think I would have a situation where um, I would have somebody holding my uh, feet to the fire saying, Hey, you promised me more tailored approach, but it, this isn't working. Um, but in that vein, when we oftentimes work with the units, we do have exceptions lists that, um, you know, we say, Hey, we're going to go ahead and require that. Um, and I'm just making something up. Service desk people will have X level of permissions to do something moving forward. Um, and they come back and say, well, that's not really working for us. And you said this would be a lot more precise um, and easier, or, you know, this would be a more secure solution. And we're always having to do X, Y, and Z to reduce the posture of the enterprise to fix this problem. Then, you know, and I do have some conversations like that. We, we always look at that and say, well, what is it you feel that you need um, to be, what are you recommending would be uh, better suited for what you're trying to accomplish? And then we kind of analyze that against what everybody else is doing. But we do have, um, much like Leon said, we have some pretty standardized approaches to things that uh, we have for privileged access management. We have a tiered, so we have a tiered uh, administrative process for that. So not everybody gets the same type of privileged account and they're, and they're managed in different mechanisms or privileged level access, uh, starting at, you know, something in the PAM uh, system going all the way up to somebody getting a specific um, smart card token for their uh, dedicated admin account. And so, again, we would look and say, well, what is it you need to get your job done? And we would maybe tailor uh, and make an exception that even though their their particular organization is slotted for a certain level of control, um, that's, that none of that can absolutely ever be fully uniform because there's always going to be something that comes up that we didn't think of when, when we were writing the control. Um, so I think at that level, um, we, we do work with them and they do kind of call us to the carpet on that stuff. When it comes to the money that we spend on that stuff, um, we need to be able to show that we have a high rate of adoption on the security controls and that the security controls are being effective. Um, so when we do a more um, precise or tactical type of security uh, approach, um, to the enterprise where it's not just this, um, you know, st- strategic initiative, but something that's really specific, like a particular licensing on a set of firewalls or um, we're uh, adding enhancements to our EDR, et cetera. Um, I, do, I do frequently um, have to be able to come back and state what the value gain was in that. Um, did it make us safer? Um, did it improve our productivity as an organization? Did it enable us? to do things that we couldn't do as easily before. And that may be something as simple as putting an application on a machine that allows you to either have split tunneling 
on a VPN or eliminate the need for you to have a VPN altogether, depending on, you know, and Leon has, you know, multiple lines of business. And he says some people are further ahead in the cloud and other people are on-prem. You know, that's where you're really tailoring a solution and saying, well, if you're one of these high-speed organizations that is much more progressive and you can adopt these cloud controls, then maybe we don't even need to talk VPN. We can talk way more our security options that are way better and definitely more centric around zero trust, as opposed to trying to figure out how to make a better mousetrap around the VPN connection. In either case, uh, we have to make sure that the conditions that we set when we go back and review the effectiveness of those controls, that uh, it the solution is meeting expectations of our leadership. So, uh when we are looking at all the situations where we spoke about Jarek, uh, people become important, whether people from your organization means the security organization or the people on the other side who have to interact with you. What would you say would be the specific changes you would have to make if you went more surgical in your approach to security management? Uh, people specific changes that I would have to make? Yes. Yeah. Uh, first, I guess I would create dotted lines instead of hard lines back to my organization. Uh, I don't want them to be completely off in an island, um, but at the same time, they need to be at the direction of the business unit that they're under if I was going to move into this approach. Number number two, we would change the way we do training. Uh, there will be certain technologies that they'll need to know, certain technologies that they, that they won't need to know, um, depending on what it is that we've put in place from a surgical strategy. I would, I would also expect the people to be far more business savvy. It's pretty common to expect the CISO to be business savvy. Um, but now when we move out into the kind of perimeter of the organization, you need people with that BSO like skill set as well, which is very similar to a CISO, except for their sole focus is on the business unit um, that they're that they're dealing with. And there's a good possibility that that person is a divisional type of CISO. So we would have to revisit this, the overall structure uh, of, of the organization. So when we are looking, Leon, at all of this, right, there's a different areas in, in security management, which other area should we look at differently if you're going surgical? So I'd been asking questions. I'd been, you know, directing to say, okay, what is the people? What's the budget, et cetera. What do you think would be an area which would be our biggest concern for a CISO when something like this is being tried or tackled? Sure. So uh, actually two points there. The, the first is uh, to riff off of what Jarek said. Um, I would be looking at tailoring my AppSec. Um, you know, my my hard controls, my ADR, my firewalls, my WAFs, things like that. Those those aren't really negotiables. The how we deal with AppSec and how we help um, them get stuff done, I think, is an area where you can get pretty surgical, and that's going to be you know, more line of business specific to his point around the kind of the, the BSO role, making sure that people understand more of what the business is trying to do. Um, and that's, that's where I would look at being very, very surgical and how I approach things. But one of the things that, that we have to remember at the end of the day, we're next Tuesday, I have my quarterly risk meeting with the board 
and they're concerned about, you know, four or five things in total. And they want to know what's good and what's bad. And, and you have to think about how am I rolling up, you know, my metrics? How am I rolling up what we're doing? And so, you know, whatever you do in the context of, you know, if, if you get very surgical, it gives you the, the possibility or the potential to be very um, almost scattered or chaotic. And in order to maintain consistency and roll those things up, you're going to have to have a, you know, potentially a blend of both. And so just something to the, the board is something to keep in mind there. So we look at leadership or governance. There are multiple other areas, right? So one is that you go ahead and this is for you, Jake, Jake Margolis, right? I saw I, I'm clear. <laughs> yeah. yeah? Okay. Uh-huh. So, uh, so when you're, when you're talking about the areas, anytime when you want this to be consistent, so it's not your security uh, landscape is not going to remain stagnant. It's going to continually changing. So that means you got to have some sort of governance structure with some sort of performance metrics and benchmarks that you would like to first establish and then measure them by. Would you suggest any changes to your standard uh, approach to measuring and, and having performance metrics and benchmarks as you do, which is a combination of going surgical and like, you know, not broad stroking, but, but more pervasive or, or like, you know, across the organization, what would you change in this area specifically? Well, I mean, metrics are good because they can kind of come back and tell you the effectiveness of your current pervasive controls. If that's the term that we're using. I, pervasive tends to mean threat to me um, when I think of the uh, cybersecurity world, but you know, your, uh, your deployed controls across the enterprise are the ones that are adopted. Uh, what's the effectiveness of those? Um, and, you know, that's a really easy number that you can kind of look in your systems and say, well, you know, this is working because we've had this many detections, we've blocked this many things, and those don't really mean a lot to the board. I mean, it might make them feel good that you've blocked a few things and your investment in your security stack is doing what it's supposed to do. Um, but I, I don't really look at that when I'm trying to look at something that's more tailored because I want to understand, and, and I don't have a lot of detailed tailored solutions. And I typically don't, I have some, like I, like I said earlier, I will tailor some because there are some specific systems that need it. Um, and even when I was the CISO for the County of Orange, I looked at it a little bit different too. It's just, you know, there's some uh, uh, customization, but I would want to know at what level do are the existing controls not adequate to what we're trying to do? Because usually when I, find that somebody wants uh, some sort of uh, tailored approach or we need to take a more tailored approach, it's because the current controls are either breaking the functionality of an of a implemented application uh, or um, they want restrictions to be lightened and there needs to be more compensating controls and risk mitigation. And that's where um, I don't know if you're going to have a lot of good metrics that are going to point to that and say, well, if we do this, then we know this is going to work. Um, and I, and I, and I'll qualify that statement because sometimes people disagree with me when I say some of those metrics aren't telling. I say that because we have to get it right a hundred percent of the time in cybersecurity. We have to make sure every control we put in place, uh, every incident response plan, every uh, mechanism that we have to detect, uh, threats and respond to them has to work perfectly for our organizations to feel good about what we do for the most part, or at least work well enough to, to protect the organization. Um, 
and they call it zero day for a reason because a bad guy only has to get it right once. So for all of the threats and the stuff that you deal with out there, you have literally millions of threats and only one has to be successful as opposed to the success of your security program. So really the, uh, the way I would measure that and can communicate the effectiveness of our governance model is, are we reviewing these controls frequently enough with substantial value that's measurable? So, you know, how do I know that phishing campaigns are working? You know, um, the answer is you probably actually don't. You know that they, you know, your users have learned how to identify phishing emails and they're not failing tests. But that doesn't mean the bad guy hasn't built a better mousetrap yet and figured out how to create a better crafted phishing email that's going to get through those, um, that training or and, or and or your defenses. And so it really comes down to are when we review those controls from a governance model, are they adequate? Are we documenting them in a way that uh, is deployable and understandable by the people that have to use them? And then when events happen, uh, do we go back and review the controls that um, were violated against the incident that happened so that we can see were the controls still effective or do we need to improve those controls in order to uh, avoid this incident from happening again? And I like to take that approach because it's not always enough. You don't always just want them to open up the checkbook and buy more tools or even more staff. And sometimes those sound like they would be great, but you know, I think Jarek said it earlier, sometimes you may not have the result that you want if you're buying or you take this unlimited approach and you start putting things and you don't have the resources to support it, you may uh, find yourself in, in a slightly worse situation. So I, and I a hundred percent agree with that. I think that sometimes we can find ourselves, you know, that, that could be, um, I don't like using fear, uncertainty and doubt to motivate leadership to do things. So I'd like to be able to take that much more methodical approach and say, yeah, well, we had this bad thing happen. Was it our control? So I always, again, when you have security incidents and they do occur is are you looking and, and talking about where your control is effective in the first place? Because again, just because something bad happens to your organization doesn't mean that your security controls weren't effective. It just means the adversary was pretty clever on their approach. Leadership, everything else, people, process, politics, pocketbook, policies, all that works. Jarek, leadership, what would you change in your style? when it comes to leadership, if you had to make surgical most effective? That is a tough question, my style. You know, I am used to having my hands deeply embedded within the business and I would have to find a way to take a step back, designate a leader to have that role, trust that person, equip that person and oversee the individual BSOs in a way that is a little bit different than what I do today. I don't have BSOs in my organization. So I have those conversations with the product teams. I have those conversations with the, the individual HR teams and so forth. I would delegate that responsibility and take a step back and manage the forest instead of getting, you know, too involved with the trees. Leon, you've been playing with this and juggling the 17 business lines would you shift something? Sure. I mean, we, we have a uh, relatively small security team. So there's a, there's a, a lot of things that I end up doing. Um, 
I'm, I'm one of those odd birds that really wants my hands in the details. So I spend a lot of time in cloud posture stuff. And, and to Jarek's point, you'd have to, you'd have to take it up a level and, and have people that are managing those things and, uh, and then kind of turn, turn loose of the, of that deep, deep technical piece and, uh, and work more on the, on the, the people management and things like that. All right. Uh, one minute or less, Jake, what would you change in terms of your style? Um, I probably echo, uh, Jarek and, um, and, and Leon is that, uh, I, I tend to be, I, my, my, my threat analyst, uh, talk to me all the time and they always want a second set of eyes on what they're looking at. Um, and I'll get in there and look up hashes and, do the work with them that they're doing sometimes because one, it's fascinating. We all got into this business for a reason. Um, but also, you know, just because, you know, many hands make light work and a lot of things. And I think that's where we're kind of coming from. Most of most security teams are um, a fraction of the size of it teams. And so, but with the same, you know, with a massive responsibility. So I'd probably, um, if I could, ch- if I needed to change something, I'd probably learn to, uh, back off a little bit more from that and just learn to kind of ingest the information that's provided to me by those uh, analysts or from my security engineers and people that I talk to um, and get a little bit less involved in the uh, architecting discussions and a little bit less involved in the actual uh, building of the uh, picture when we're dealing with threat analysis, et cetera. Once again, thank you so much, uh, Jarek, Leon, and Jake for sharing your insights about uh, this interesting topic about moving from peanut butter to surgery and make it a better security. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you. And listeners, please connect with us on social media. Subscribe to our podcast. Hope you enjoyed. Got some good nuggets. Don't use peanut butter as much. Go for the surgery. That's the license and that's the recipe for great security. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjog All, signing off. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjog Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. 